Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, and tonight I'm joined by not just one, but two special guests, and they both also happen to be co-hosts of the show, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 59, the Rajon Tucker episode, as the 2019 undrafted rookie who had brief stints in the NBA before heading overseas now wears number 59 for a multitude of reasons. He wore number nine with the 76ers and was friends with Kentucky guard Terrence Clark, who tragically died in a car accident. So he wanted to honor him by combining their two jersey numbers. When debating whether or not he'd go with number 59 or 95, he asked his mom for her opinion, and she reminded him that his grandfather, who is tattooed on his arm, passed away at the age of 59. Quite a cool way to honor both a friend and family member, if you ask me. Before we get started here on tonight's opening tip, I do want to remind everybody that Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and the latest matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEF, that is B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And tonight, Bruce, we're going to start with you for the opening tip. Well, I dressed for the occasion because uh, the topic of my opening comment, of course, is Jalen Brown of the Celtics, who recently signed. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, um, busted out this hat just for that occasion. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he recently signed the largest contract in NBA history, five years, $304 million. Uh, You probably heard. Uh, He'll be the highest paid player on the Celtics for exactly one season. (laughs) That is until Jason Tatum signs his Supermax deal next summer that will likely exceed Brown's numbers. So is Jalen Brown worth it? Is French soccer star... Kylian Mbappe worth $100 million a year? Is golfer Phil Mickelson worth $107 million a year? The answer to all three is yes, because someone is willing to pay it. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, okay, let's look at why the Celtics did it. Jalen Brown is obviously an extremely talented player, and his timing was great as far as when his next deal could be negotiated. Along with Tatum, they're arguably the best wing tandem in the NBA, and they've had great success over the past five seasons. While his game is far from perfect and he needs to improve his ball handling and curb his tendency to make questionable decisions with the ball, his two-way game is elite, and he can create his own shot when necessary. He's also a leader in the locker room and in the community. With the departure of Marcus Smart, who was the emotional engine of the team, Brown's non-basketball skills will be more important than ever. While Tatum is a better all-around player, Jalen is poised to assume some of Smart's leadership responsibilities, and he is ready for it. This signing, along with the deal that brought Kristaps Porzingis to Boston, shows that Celtics management is all in in the quest for championship number 18. Absolutely, they're all in, and it's got to be a sigh of relief to finally have him put the ink to the paper there. Jalen Brown back in the Celtics uniform officially. World B? Thank you, Ross. Bleacher Report came out with its list of most overrated NBA players over the weekend, and to the surprise of some, Kawhi Leonard came in at number four. The biggest reason for his inclusion on this list, of course, was his health, as he has not played more than 60 games in any of his four seasons since joining the Clippers following his title run with the Raptors in 2019. Now, whatever you may think of his appearance on this list, it serves as a reminder that no player may be under more pressure to succeed this season than Kawhi Leonard. As mentioned, he came to the Clippers with much fanfare following before the 2019-20 season, and while his numbers have been good, his injuries have not. He missed all of 21-22, in fact, with an ACL injury, and the phrase load management and Kawhi Leonard are likely to be connected even more than his defensive excellence. Leonard turned 32 in June, a number that looks even higher when you pile on the wear and tear of his body. When he is on the court, he's still a difference maker. The Clippers outscored opponents by nearly 10 points per 100 possessions when he was on the court last season, easily the highest net efficiency on the team. But Leonard came to L.A. to win titles, 
and to help the Clippers over take over the spotlight from their big brothers, the Lakers. This season may be his last chance to do that. I think it is. And uh, Kawhi Leonard remains the biggest mystery man in the NBA, both off the court with the load management issues and injury issues, and as well as on the court, even when he's playing well or not going through a, a good spell of things, he's got very little to show on his face. So he is the mystery man of the league. Well said there will be. As for my opening tip, I got another big signing this uh, past weekend, and uh, the Milwaukee Bucks officially completed their 15-man roster by re-signing re a good friend of the show, Anthanasis Antetokounmpo. From the early reactions I've observed on Twitter, it seems as though Bucks fans are 50-50 with the team's decision. But let's just go ahead and face the facts here. Nothing should outweigh the cost of keeping a top three NBA player in the league happy in Milwaukee. Also, does a signing of Serge Ibaka in free agency as your 15th man really increase your title chances? Well, let's go ahead and take a quick look. I use Ibaka as my example because just last year, Ibaka became disappointed in his role in Milwaukee, and both sides agreed to find a trade for the veteran at the deadline. I say all this before I even point out the positives with the Nasus. Number one, he knows his role. Number two, he knows this group well, and as the team recently resigned both Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, guys he's buddies with. Number three, he works hard on the practice court, setting a great example and challenging the younger players like Marjan Beauchamp, A.J. Green, and the Bucks' new second rounders and Andre Jackson Jr. and Chris Livingston to, complete, to compete in practice. And lastly, the nasty just brings positive energy on the bench every night. So with all things considered, I would say this was the right call. No question. No question about it. I mean, if he is a security blanket for Giannis, $1.8 million a year is nickels and dimes. Yep, absolutely. I mean, just look in Portland right now. I mean, if they could have uh, a minimum signing to make Damian Lillard happy, I'm sure they would do the same thing. So uh, good job there by John Horst and the Milwaukee Bucks. Now let's get to our first quarter here, and I actually came with three questions that are on my mind that I want to ask you guys about. And uh, World B, I'm going to start question number one with you because uh, I want to give you a first crack at this team, and that is the Boston Celtics. Are they better or worse with Chris Topps Porzingis and without Marcus Smart next year? It's a really interesting question. Um, I want to say there. I want to say when I look at the Celtics as they are right now, this is going to be a team they're clearly deciding we're going to go all in on offense because you just got rid of the best, one of the best defensive players in the league. You added uh, a player who has terrific uh, offensive capability, uh, who by the way is only 28 by the time, you know, we talk about all these uh, players. You, you would think he would be in his thirties at this point, but he's just 28. And, I think they are in a win-now mode. I think they're in a win-now mode as much as just about any team in the league, and they're going to be under the biggest microscope, if not the biggest microscope, at least the most pressure to at least get out of the East. There's no other team I think of in the league where it's going to be a disappointment if they don't get out of the East more than the Boston Celtics. Totally agree. Bruce, what's your take? Better or worse with KP and without Smart? Of course, so much of – the um, situation determining that is going to depend on KP's health. He's been known to miss a lot of games and whatnot. So I'm going to say it like this. If he plays 70 or more games and gets to the playoffs in good physical condition, they're better. And here's why. Marcus Smart is an absolute beloved member of the Celtics. And as Michael correctly pointed out, he was a, a Tasmanian devil on defense. I mean, he would do anything defensively to help the team win. But they kind of had a Marcus Smart 2.0 on the team in Derek White, who actually made All-NBA defensively playing that same position. So they kind of had another one of him, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. They didn't have another unicorn like Porzingis, okay? They just didn't. So I'm going to say if KP is healthy and Derek White kind of does his thing and everybody else progresses as normal, I would say that they could really be better than they were last year when they won 57 games. They could be a 60-win team. Yeah, and I'll quickly answer my own question here. I think they're most most definitely better. I think that uh, filling out the front court with KP, 
Uh, you can play him alongside Robert Williams. If Robert Williams himself, I mean, as much as I like the Time Lord, was pretty unreliable last year with his own health concerns. So kind of to have an insurance shot blocker like KP that can play inside, block some shots, and obviously knock down three is something that Williams is unable to do. I think they just added another tool that's going to make them a better team. And as you mentioned, Bruce, with Derek White on board, I think he can certainly take over uh, a larger load in games for the Celtics next season. Can I just say one more thing before we move on? Sure. Uh, let, let us not forget that Grant Williams will not be on the team next year. Now, a lot yes. of people look at Grant Williams and say he's kind of generic. But here's the thing about Grant Williams, as was also the case with Marcus Smart. He's one of the guys that was hard-nosed that wouldn't back down. Boston, for the most part, is kind of a soft team. Grant Williams was not soft, and we know Marcus Smart was not soft. So that's something that they're going to have to find some people. And I know they brought in O'Shea Brissett, and they drafted this guy, Jordan Walsh, who looks kind of like a dog out there in the summer yep. league. So they're going to really need the toughness out of those two guys because with Grant Williams not there – that's well, you'll you'll see how successful he helps Dallas become. Great points there. And uh, I think that couldn't be truer as far as the uh, addition of KP and the subtraction of uh, Marcus Smart. No disrespect to Porzingis, but you lose a little toughness in, th in that swap there. Question number two, on a scale one to 10, with one being very concerned and 10 being or uh, excuse me, with one not being very concerned, and 10 being very concerned. How worried are you about the Bucks remaining a top three team in the East next year? While they re-upped the core, they did get older, and their only new intriguing pieces are Malik Beasley and head coach Adrian Griffin, who does have a ton of reputable years as an assistant coach, but is still a first-time head coach. Bruce, I'll start with you. Um. As you mentioned, you know, they're going to have a rookie head coach. And we've seen that, you know, that can be a challenge, okay? Correctly pointing out Malik Beasley was added to the team. I think Robin Lopez will be helpful addition to their team as well. I have always wished he was on the Celtics. There's, I know that he's a 15-year guy now and Brooke is better. I get all that. But there's something about Robin Lopez to me that I just like having a guy like that, you know, on my team. So I think he's going to add a little, you know, Front court toughness to go along with Portis. We'll see if Andre Jackson Jr. is any good. Uh, I know you always liked Javon Carter. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Joe Ingles was certainly a useful guy while he was there. Those guys are gone. Wesley Matthews looks like he's gone. I would say if Drew Holiday, age 33, and Chris Middleton, age 31, are healthy, they could be as good as they were last year. And I'm glad you mentioned Wes Matthews because uh, Wes Matthews was on the team the year before they won the championship and then left to join the Lakers. They win a championship. Wes Matthews comes back and they don't win the championship. So, you know, if you're, if you're sensing a pattern here, he's gone now. So maybe their championship chances did increase with Matthews. Uh, so departing. it's his fault, Ross. That's what I'm saying, essentially. Okay. And, that's, and that's a Marquette guy. So, you know, that All takes right. a lot for me to point that out. That's treason, um, man. Treason. <laughs> World B, what's your take on that? Are you concerned about the Milwaukee Bucks next year? If you had to put a number on it, I would say uh, for me it'd be two as far as concern level. Okay. Um, and this is only for this season now. Going forward, I think this is – next season is it for this run. They have to do it next season. And it's really because of the age. You had, as, as Bruce mentioned, Drew Holiday is 32. Middleton turns 32 in a or Drew is 33. Lopez is 35. Middleton turns 32 in a couple of weeks. I mean, you got a new coach in town. I think they're still the class of the East. It gets lost in that because they lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Heat, but they had the best record in the league last season. And Giannis is going to be, you know, he's 28 now, and he's got a little, you know, playing the position and playing the way he plays. 28 is it's a little bit older than just that number. So he's got a little bit of wear and tear on him as well. So if they're making the run for next season, I think they're the team to be in the East. Uh, their offense has to improve. It was such a surprise to see them middle of the pack in efficiency last season, but that's where they were. They were 15th, and they weren't a great shooting team. Even with one of the best shooters in terms of percentage in Giannis, they were still about 10th in the league in effective field goal percentage. That just tells you how disappointing everybody else was to bring that number down. So I think if their offense improves, they're a top four, top five defense in the league. If their offense gets back to where it was, 
I think they're coming out of the East. All right. There you have it. And uh, as for me, I'm not going to answer my own question because I think in the second quarter, I'll let you know where my concerns lie with the Milwaukee Bucks. So before we move on to that second quarter, I got one last quick fire question. We got to get a Western Conference team in there. So why not the Lakers? No one talks about them enough. So the (laughs) one crazy Lakers question I have for you all, and I'll start with you, Bruce. Can LeBron James or Anthony Davis realistically win an MVP award again? Is it possible? Of course it's possible. But the team's going to have to be much better than they were last year. You know, nobody's going to win MVP on a team with 43 wins. I mean, if they don't at least get to 50. uh, But if they do, then absolutely. Either or both could win MVP. Will be. Uh, I honestly think LeBron James' time as MVP contender is done. Uh, Doesn't mean he still can't be a 25-point-a-night guy and assist. I think Anthony Davis can be if he stays healthy. There is the uh, big question with him. First quarter of the season, last season, he was our MVP. He was dominating the league, and then he got hurt, and then he missed time. And then you you can't win the MVP sitting on the bench in street clothes. You just can't. If he stays healthy, he's a definite MVP candidate on that team. If they Bruce Bruce says they get to fifty wins, they get up to contention, which I think if both those guys are healthy, I think they can do. But it's if both those guys are healthy. Yeah. No, I'm not buying it. I would not bet that. I mean, I think it is interesting because they're obviously ultra talented and. Uh, could certainly be in the hunt, but uh, I've got my eyes on too many international stars these days for the MVP award moving forward. Well, appreciate you guys answering some questions that I had there. Let's get to our second quarter and with football season set to kick off soon, let's put a twist on the power five and all rank our top five teams heading into next year's NBA season. And why not, why not start at five and work our way up to number one and uh, Bruce, Let's start with five with you. My number five team is the Golden State Warriors. Jordan Poole out, Chris Paul in, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, Clay Thompson, still there. Jonathan Kaminga should take a big leap this year. Steve Kerr is an all-time great coach, and while general manager Bob Myers is gone, Mike Dunleavy Jr. moves up to replace him. Curry, Green, Paul, and Thompson are all well north of 30. So health and fatigue will be concerns, but I still see them possibly being the fifth best team in the league. Well, what about the road? That's the only other question I would have. They got to get through those road woes, but uh, raise some good points there, Bruce. World B, what do you have at five? Well, I also have the Warriors at five, believe it or not. Um, I think this is coming up is their last title run effort. Uh, I don't see it going beyond this season for one of the biggest reasons Bruce mentioned because of their health and their age. Uh, so this is they, – they're all in for this season. They went out and got Chris Paul for one reason, to really make a run this season. Um, the defense – if the defense can improve, it was so uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically poor last season, especially on the road. It just boggled the mind week after week seeing how bad they played on the road defensively. And then they go in and win a game seven in Sacramento. So, you know, go figure. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think the defense will improve. It can't, it can't get worse. I think the defense will improve. And if they stay healthy, again, that's the big if with so many of the teams and players in this league. But if they stay healthy, yeah, I think the title runs not out of the question. All right. And uh, the Warriors are not my number five team. So that will make this list interesting here. At five, I'm going to answer my question uh, in the first quarter, and I've got the Milwaukee Bucks at five. I've got some big concerns with them moving forward with a first-year head coach and some of those stars in Milwaukee aging, uh, of course, uh, with Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez especially there. Um, you know, I'm not going to put too many of my cards into Malik Beasley being that much of a difference maker. I certainly hope he will. He's got a great opportunity to really step in and, and provide a big spark for this team. Um, but just in general, I think too many other teams got better this offseason and the Bucks just kind of stayed the same. Now, gra- granted, if if it's not broke, don't fix it. They, ha- they had the league's best record last year. I just think with another year uh, ahead of us now, uh, some things have changed with the Power Five. So coming into the year, the Bucks have something to prove to me. Bruce, let's go to number four. What do you got? 
your Phoenix Suns. All right. New coach Frank Vogel takes over a team with Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Kevin and Devin, love the ring of that, Bradley <laughs> Beal, and DeAndre Ayton. Chris Paul is gone, and so is campaign, so the point guard situation will need to resolve itself. Jordan Goodwin came over from Washington and might help out, but he's mostly unproven. Will Vogel solve the Aiton riddle? If he does, they may end up being higher up than my fourth best. But as it stands right now, I've got them as the fourth best team in the league. I like it. World B? Uh, I got the Celtics as my uh, fourth team in the Power Five. Uh, I think, as I mentioned before, I think they are under the most pressure of any team in the league because of the big trade they made for KP and the big signing they have at Jalen Brown. I mean, they and the way their season ended last season was a bitter disappointment to uh, lose to Miami, which a lot of teams it turned out did, including my own Knicks. But they uh, they they have the most pressure on them, I think even more so than, than the Phoenix Suns, who are going to have a spotlight because of all the stars and everything. Uh, but I think the East is a little more – little less difficult to get out of now as it currently stands than the West. And so I think that puts a team like Boston, which is one of the best teams in the league, second best record last season, 57 wins to, uh, I think it puts the pressure on them to get out of the East. And at four, I'm with you there, Bruce. I got the Phoenix Suns as the fourth team on my list, a full year of Kevin Durant and new coach for DeAndre Ayton. Devin Booker remains on a mission. A fantastic summer filling out the bench. And they could be the real deal. The only question remaining for me is Beal. Bruce, who do you got at three? <laughs> the real Beal. That should be a stick day, man. The real yeah. Bradley, the real Beal. I love that. <laughs> Along with Devin and Kevin, of course. Number three, also one of your teams, Ross, the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. Giannis is still sublime. Okay. But Drew Holiday is 33 and Chris Middleton's 31 and he's coming off a season where he missed 49 games and shot poorly from downtown under 32%. Rookie coach Adrian Griffin, as you pointed out, has paid his dues and deserves his shot. So we'll see how the rookie does. But he's going to have to prove himself and he's going to have to you know, get a team with some significant veterans on it to uh, buy into his plan and respect him. I think he will. So I have the Bucks at number three. Rule B, who do you have at three? Uh, three, I have the Phoenix Suns. Uh, this is the team with the most star power in the league. Uh, but I think they're a little – I almost had them at four because they're just – the idea of who's going to play point really concerns me. I mean, I I get that you can be positionless in this era of NBA, and that's fine, and maybe it works out. Um, I just – I want I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach on it, but – if everybody's there and KD is 100%, there's a team full of stars and they could be the biggest challengers for me to the um, Denver Nuggets to, you know, get out of the West. But, you know, they had the biggest offseason trade for my, you know, my opinion, Bradley Beal. And if it's not Boston, it's Phoenix Suns and the team under the most biggest spotlight. Most certainly there. Number three, I've got the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do not sleep on the following. Donovan Mitchell having one year under his belt playing alongside Darius Garland in Cleveland. Evan Mobley having another offseason to improve and get stronger. And don't sleep on the Cavs offseason moves, adding Max Struess and Georges Nyang, who should be glue guys this group was missing. So count me in this year as a believer of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who I have locked in at three. Bruce, let's head to number two here. Who do you got? Well, since my last two teams were your teams, now it's time to get to my team, Boston Celtics. I'm putting it the number two spot. How far will they go? Well, that's going to depend on Porzingis meshing with the two Js, staying healthy, as we said earlier, and Derek White's maturation as a full-time starter at point guard. Also, Joe Mazzulla's growth as a coach bears watching. Uh, you know, he added a couple of pretty cool assistants in Sam Cassell and Charles Lee. That's going to help him in his decision-making and hopefully, uh, you know, having a, a locker room where there's all kinds of respect going in every direction. So I see Boston as uh, number two at this point. Will be. Uh, first things first, whenever I hear Sam Cassell's name, I always go back to his days 
in the NBA when he uh, – I forget which team he was having a contract dispute about, but he had one of the all-time quotes, everybody's benefiting from Sam Cassell except Sam Cassell. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better than that. That's one of the all-time classics. Uh, as for my number two team, uh, I go with the Bucks. I think there are uh, – people forget because of the way their season ended last season, they were the best team in the league record-wise. And I think this team, they brought them all back. Everybody, you know, age notwithstanding for one reason. I think they have a sense of urgency and an opportunity to redeem themselves from what happened. It's bad enough they didn't win a title, but to go out in the first round and to go out the way they did, got pushed around. You know, the Miami Heat took care of them better than they took care of the Celtics, better than they took care of the Knicks. The easiest road, the easiest opponent for Miami on the way to the title run were the Milwaukee Bucks, as it turned out, which is a big shocker. So I think this team is going to come in focus with a sense of urgency and really wanting to redeem themselves. And if they have the championship medal that we're told they have, this is the season to show it. Yeah, it's definitely going to be put to the test there. At number two, I've got the reigning champion Denver Nuggets. While I wouldn't be surprised to see this group get off to a sluggish start dealing with a bit of a finals hangover, I fully expect the Nuggets to be back at the top of the Western Conference standings at the end of the season. While it's been an unusually quiet offseason with more departures of key players than additions, Denver strikes me as a team that will feel out what they've got currently with the players still on board and make adjustments with an in-season trade as they see fit. I learned my lesson last season, never doubt the Joker. And that leads us to number one on our Power Five. Bruce, take it away. Well, to the surprise of very few people, I got the Denver Nuggets. Uh, <laughs> okay. Repeating, you know? Okay. Uh, now, here's the thing. Losing my fellow BB, Bruce Brown, could be huge. He was a Swiss Army knife for Michael Malone with his toughness, his versatility, and his energy. But the starting five is intact, so chances are they're still going to be at or near the top of the West. And now that they've been through it and won an actual championship, uh, they have that playoff, you know, they're made men when it comes to the playoffs. So I say that uh, it's going to be Denver, uh, and uh, I guess that means Denver and Boston in the finals. Yeah. Will be. Uh, I, too, have the Denver Nuggets. Here, here's the thing I, I like about this team. And Bruce mentioned their starting fives intact. They got the league MVP um, or the previous MVP, excuse me. They got the finals MVP who had just a magnificent run through the playoffs. This is a team that won a title and really is not getting the respect that they deserve. They were, we were talking about, we were breaking down their opponents on their way to the championship before they won the championship. We were, we were dis, dismissing the run that they had because they played the Lakers because they put you know, all the seeded teams that they had to go up against the Timberwolves. And then they go up against the heat. We were already dismissing their run and not legitimizing how impressive it was. We're not not giving them any credit. I think they're going to come with a chip on their shoulder and try to prove to everybody that you know the only way, the best way to do it, is to go out and do another one, win a, win a second title. We haven't had one in a while, so it, you know since the Warriors. So it's about time for a team to go out and win a second championship. And what better team to do it than a team that doesn't feel like they got their due? the first time around. And I think that's the Nuggets. I think that's what their mindset is going to be this season. Or it yeah, be. It, yeah, it certainly should be. And they should come in with a chip on their shoulder because as we know, whoever the reigning champ is season to season, you've got a target on your back the next year. Everyone's coming for your spot and bringing their A game every time they face you on the court. As for my number one team, I've got the Boston Celtics. I think with all the drama and distractions behind them from the coaching staff to trade rumors, this team should now be fully reset and ready to go. They improved the coaching staff. They improved their front court with Porzingis. I think their time is now. I think, of course, the finals run that they went through and kind of fell short in the finals the year before, the year prior is behind them too. Distractions are gone. Goals are on the board. And I think this is the year everyone's comfortable with their status on the team. People are getting boosted up like Derek White. And uh, I think this might be your year, Bruce. So I thought I'd bring uh, some good news for you here tonight, putting them at my top spot at number one. That's a I'm nice looking hat there. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this <laughs> to you, Ross, okay? 
I think you've earned it with okay. that with that commentary. By the way, I'd like to record the show right. that throughout this whole these two first two quarters, I didn't mention Joe Mazzula's name once. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean as, we should as be much as I you an award to. too for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and cut this short before you're able to. We've reached our halftime buzzer. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with you for the second half. Welcome back, and we will get started here with our third quarter. Now, at the end of last week, World B stated that Kemba Walker absolutely would be on his top five list of guys he's enjoyed the most. So I thought it'd be a great time to discuss our top five starting lineups of favorite players. This is not the list or lineup of the greatest players you can assemble. This is simply our top five players we've enjoyed watching. And uh, World B, let's go ahead and get started with you. Uh, let's go position. So let's start with, you know, who you have as one of your guards. Uh, I put, well, we'll start with the way this conversation began. Uh, Kemba <laughs> Walker uh, with the Hornets. I got to watch him play for, you know, during his time in Charlotte. He was as fearless as they came. Uh, he's the greatest player in the history of the Hornets franchise, which uh, is, it's actually saying something when you consider Larry Johnson, Lonzo Mourning, but you're going to make a statue one day of Kemba Walker and retire his number and put it in the rafters. Uh, he was beloved in the city. He probably still is. I don't want to eulogize the man. Uh, I think he was just an absolutely fantastic player to watch. Uh, feel, I watched him grow from a guy who could not shoot to a guy who was fearless on the court, who you worried whenever he had the ball in his hands, he could put it in the bucket. So he's my all-time favorite point guard. All right. And Bruce, just so you know, if you don't have a favorite point guard, that's okay because as the Phoenix Suns are showing us, you don't need a point guard. So, you know, who's the first guy you'd like to talk about on your in your lineup? Well, okay. Um, I'll stick with – I'll follow World B on the position. So I'll go with okay. the guard, okay? Uh, Dennis Johnson, uh, clutch player, lockdown defender, three-time NBA champ, 1979 with Seattle and then twice with the Celtics. 84 and 86, Larry Bird called him his best teammate ever. All righty. And uh, just going to pre-warn you guys here, you're going to have a lot of laughs with my list because they might be a little different than yours. <laughs> but my favorite point guard of all time is Brandon Jennings. He brought the heartbeat back to a dying franchise and a swagger to a city that lacked it. 55 points in his seventh career game and a win over fellow rookie Steph Curry, a game I was at. You can throw a ton of shots at me for this pick, but you can never discredit that fact that he, uh, you know, unleashed a fire in Milwaukee, kind of brought a swagger back to the city when it needed it most. And getting a taste of playoff basketball in Milwaukee for the first time in forever is something that I'll go ahead and cherish forever. So Bucks and six, Brandon Jennings is my point guard. World B, who do you have as your other guard? Uh, the other guard, I you could probably put him at a uh, point guard as well, but I just uh, I just threw him in there. Uh, Steph Curry is without a doubt the greatest shooter uh, this league has ever seen. Uh, I've never seen a player; none of us have ever seen a player with the range that he's had. Consistent, he's changed the game uh, for better for whatever you want to say about the league. He changed it the way he played, and he made a lot of other players, uh, a lot of other youngsters, want to be like him. So, uh, and when he played, when he was on, there wasn't anybody more fun to watch shooting the ball. So he's my uh, other guard as far as all-time favorite players. Bruce? I don't have a lot of height on my team. I get that. Yeah. Well, you make the rules with your team. <laughs> my right. guys are taking your guys to the post faux show. <laughs> uh, my other backcourt mate is really sort of a swing man, a, a small forward shooting guard. Uh, that would be John Havlicek. My absolute hero growing up, eight-time NBA champion, okay? Eight championship rings. That's two more than Michael Jordan, but he played both ends of the court. One of the greatest sixth men ever. Had probably the most iconic play in franchise history. Havlicek stole the ball against the 76ers in the 1965 Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, when he retired, okay, he was the third all-time leading scorer in NBA history. He's lost to this generation of fans, but as a kid growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, Hondo was the man. Great call there. And um, 
I promise with my shooting guard here, I don't need a wellness check. I'm just a loyal guy. My shooting guard is Martel Webster. I self-proclaimed him the next Ray Allen, and to this day I stand by how pretty and textbook his jumper was. Despite fully admitting he never panned out, I'll never forget his 24-point quarter as a youngster in Portland. And being such a big fan of Martel's, uh, my, my, my close friends can go ahead and attest to this, I did double down with Anthony Simons. Anthony Simons as another guy that I, I love to watch, and, and, and it came from watching Martell in Portland, and that one seems to be trending much better. But Martell <laughs> Webster is my shooting guard. But let's quickly move on here before people have some comments here. And uh, we'll be uh, – who do you have as a forward? As a forward, uh, one of my forwards is Bernard King. He was my first NBA uh, hero, if you will. Uh, he will always be remembered uh, for Knicks fans like myself, who are of that age, for his 84 playoff run against uh, first against the Pistons when he went up against Isaiah Thomas in a classic series and a classic final game there, game five. And then versus Celtics, that, uh, the Knicks pushed to uh, seven games a year the Celtics won the title in 84. Uh, the Boston talking a lot of junk about Bernard was not going to get to 40 or whatever, and he did it twice in that series. Uh, and I'll tell you this out there. If you think Jimmy Butler carried a team this past season to a, to a finals appearance, go back, look up Bernard King's uh, roster in 1984 when he took them to the Eastern Conference Finals, and you will find Lewis R., Marvin Webster, Truck Robinson, Ray Williams. These are not household names, even by Knicks standards. Bernard was really the man, led the league in scoring the following year, and he – for a Nick fan growing up, he represented in between the championship years and the 90s. He was that era uh, for Knicks fans like me, star. Great selection there. Bruce, who do you got as your forward? Um, Larry Bird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great shooter, great rebounder, greatest trash talker ever, according to some, three time champ. Last NBA player to win the MVP three straight seasons and one of only three to ever do it. The other two, of course, being his teammate, Bill Russell, not his teammate, but his fellow Celtic, Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, Larry Bird, in a, if he were playing today with the three point line slightly closer than it was in his day and the emphasis on the three point shot way more than it was in his day. I mean, this guy might lead the league in scoring every year. But suffice it to say, has, he's on the Mount Rushmore of uh, Boston Celtics, that's for sure. No debating that. As for my uh, small forward, I've got Vince Carter, half man, half amazing. He was my childhood hero, both the greatest dunker and greatest Toronto Raptor of all time. Nobody can ever convince me otherwise because I'll counter any argument with the very realistic case that any Raptor you'd name over him as the greatest of all time probably would have never played in Toronto had Vince Carter not taken flight there. Lastly, just wait until you see the roster for Team Canada at the next Olympics. It's going to be an impressive list, and it's no coincidence. Vince peaked basketball interest there, and he certainly peaked mine as a child growing up. Let's go ahead and get to our next forward here. World B, who do you got? The good doctor, Julius Irving. Uh, he was the first person in my lifetime that was a show all, all his own. Uh, if you went to a game and you saw one Dr. J highlight, dunk, whatever you, it was, you felt like you got your money's worth. He was the first person in my lifetime to be that kind of player. He was uh, a superstar. He carried the ABA back in the day before he came to the NBA, and everybody wanted to see how he'd do there, and he went ahead and won the MVP eventually. So he got his title in 83 he was a superstar to the very end, and he was always the guy I wanted to watch. I saw one highlight, and I was good. That was it. I got my money's worth. Great call there. Bruce, who do you have? Um, I went old school with my first three Celtics choices and Dennis Johnson, John Havlicek, and Larry Bird. So I'm going with a new school dude, and that is Jason Tatum. Uh, he's an unstoppable scorer, an improved defender, Teams made the playoffs all six seasons he's played. Eastern Conference Finals four times. Trip to the NBA Finals once. 
Uh, upcoming season, a lot of expectations as World B, and we've all discussed. Um, I think we could be looking at a you know scoring leader, MVP, maybe even a Finals MVP. So uh, my new school guy is JT. Good call there, Bruce. As for my forward, I've got Sean Marion, the most underappreciated Phoenix Suns player of all time. While Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash get the most of the seven seconds or less credit, it, it never sees the success it does without the matrix. His, versity, his versatility and small ball four capabilities help transform the game to what it is today. And uh, I certainly think that we a lot of times lose sight of kind of the impact he played on that team and kind of where the game is today. So got to show some love to Sean Marion. World B, who's your uh, last guy in your group here as your center or big man? Well, as much as I didn't want to disrespect the Jerome James era with the Knicks Ooh. there, uh, <laughs> I decided instead to go with uh, Patrick Ewing. Uh, Patrick Ewing represented my happiest time as an NBA fan, that being the Knicks of the 90s. Uh, while he didn't get a title, he, uh, for anybody who grew up during the 80s following the Knicks, uh, there were not a lot of happy times, uh, a lot of, not a lot of playoff appearances or playoff wins. When Patrick Ewing got there, when Pat Riley got there, things changed and they became one of the teams in the league. And he was the superstar. He was the face of the franchise. He was brought in under extreme amount of pressure like LeBron James you know, years later would be. That's how Patrick Ewing's uh, arrival was to New York. And he didn't win a title, but he did everything possible that he could. And no one will ever say in Nickland that he didn't try his darndest to get the Knicks a title. It didn't work out that way, but it wasn't for a lack of effort. It wasn't for a lack of production. He's the greatest player in the history of the franchise. Well said there. Bruce? I actually saw Bill Russell play live. The wow. first NBA game I ever went to was in November of 1966. I probably said this a few times. The Celtics and the St. Louis Hawks at the old Boston Garden, the real old Boston Garden. Bill Russell was kind of towards the end of his career at that point. They didn't actually win the championship that year, but they did win it in his final two seasons. 11 rings, two NCAA titles, Olympic gold, first black NBA coach, his number six jersey is retired by the NBA. Now, a lot of people have tried to diminish him by saying, well, look at all the Hall of Famers that he played with. People, he's the one who made them Hall of Famers. Yep. It's Bill Russell. Great call there. And um, as for my center, uh, I think this comes to no surprise to those that know me. I'm going with Giannis Adetokounmpo, an incredible basketball player, yet somehow an even better human being and great friend. From his journey to his accomplishments thus far and how he hasn't lost perspective throughout it all, rather embracing his status to be an example for others, there simply hasn't been a player quite like the Greek freak. And uh, I'll be the first to say, I thought we both all had great lists. Hopefully our listeners had a lot of fun learning more about us and, of course, our players. Um, but uh, I'll go ahead and raise my hand saying that if uh, we faced off against one another, I'm coming in last place. I, if this was our group in the play-in tournament, I'm definitely not going to win the play-in tournament. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, you pick Martell Webster, and World yeah. B mentioned Marvin Webster. So, you know, I wish I had a player named Webster to follow. You know, maybe, you know. The, By the way, I came on, very close. Alex Harris on that old show on TV. <laughs> I came very close to putting Jerry West on my uh, shooting guard because even though I never saw him play, when I was in college at West Virginia, I got to yep. see movie reels of him playing in college, and it was blew my mind. So I, I almost – as a default thing, I was going to put him on there, but I thought I'd stick to the spirit of what we were talking about, and I did okay with uh, Steph Curry. Not to go off on a tangent here, but I want to pull a really quick uh, pop culture reference into this show. I promise it'll be quick. Over the weekend, I went to see the movie Oppenheimer, okay? Ooh, yeah. and, one of, and one of the key figures in that film was the prosecutor – that they had some kind of kangaroo court against Oppenheimer who created the atomic bomb. And the prosecutor was this really angry, aggressive guy. Um, 
it was the same guy who played Jerry West in Winning Time when they portrayed <laughs> Jerry West as like this lunatic. All right. Yeah. Well, this guy has the lunatic thing down really good because he was a lunatic prosecutor as well. So if you go to see Oppenheimer and you saw Winning Time, you will recognize the prosecutor as Jerry West. That's great. I love that. <laughs> That's well, awesome. Well, that was a lot of fun, fellas. Let's go ahead and get to our fourth quarter. And uh, Bruce, if you don't mind, how about you introduce the fourth quarter? Uh, I okay. think that's a great idea. All right. We all know what it's like to be politically correct, right? Where, you know, you might have something negative to say about somebody, but you want to be considerate of their feelings or you don't want to say anything that's going to get you in trouble at work or with your friends or whatever. So you might go with something like, well, here's what I said, but here's what I really meant. And that that's what this segment is going to be tonight. Do I need what to leave the room? Say, what they <laughs> say the room here is this all lead in for me to go go somewhere else now so you guys can well let's put it this way world B I got a feeling you're gonna give as well as you get so I would say you know you all can right, you I'll... can play defense you can play offense all uh, right. we we all have the the listeners and the viewers all have faith in you so anyway so this segment is called what they said and what they meant Ross. Perfect. All right. Well, why don't you lead us off here and show us the way, and then we'll go to World B, and then I'll circle back. Okay. What they say about this player is he's a finesse player. What they mean is he's soft. <laughs> I like that one. World B. Uh, when they say that this is a good practice player, what they really mean is he's not getting any minutes. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> As for me, what they say is this: he's a project. What they mean is he's not an NBA player, but he's still young and has NBA size and athleticism, so we're going to give him a chance. Okay. Bruce? For player X, they say he's a cerebral player. What they really mean is he's non-athletic. <laughs> Will be? Well, when they say this player knows the tricks of the trade. What they're really saying is he's dirty. CP3. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not the name names about, or anything. I was thinking yeah. about every Nick Frontcourt player from the 90s, but that's fine. John Stockton. <laughs> uh, well, my last one's pretty simple here. When they say he's a pass-first player, what they mean is he can't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a pretty good idea there, Bruce. I like that one. Hopefully uh, our listeners enjoyed. And if you did like that, drop us a comment. We can certainly do more on a future episode. Now let's get to our final thoughts. And tonight I'll start with you, World B. Thank you, Russ. Throughout the offseason, I've devoted my closing thoughts from time to time to some teams worth paying attention to in the upcoming season. One week I talked about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Another week, I chose the Indiana Pacers. This week, it's going to be the Orlando Magic. Although the Magic only won 34 games last season, it still represented a 12-win improvement from 2021-22. And expectations entering this season may be as high for this team as during the era when they made all the playoff runs and including a trip to the finals in 2009 under uh, Stan Van Gundy. On a roster that is young with a capital Y, they have one of the youngest stars on the rise in Rookie of the Year, Paolo Bancaro, who to me looks like he's destined to be a 30-point-per-game guy. How young was this team last season? Nine guys played at least 1,000 minutes on the Magic, and eight of the nine were 25 years or under. The oldest on the list was Gary Harris, who was all of 28. Bancaro, Cole Anthony, the Wagner brothers, Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz, who's 25, by the way, incoming rookies, Anthony Black, Jed Howard. There's a lot of youth on this team, but there's also a lot of talent. And I'm looking for a playoff appearance from this group next season. Lots of talent indeed, and they certainly will be on my list of league pass teams to watch as I definitely enjoy watching those younger players develop over time. Bruce? When ESPN laid off NBA analyst Jeff Van Gundy in June, it broke up the A-team of Mike Breen, Mark Jackson, and Van Gundy. At the time, it was expected that Doris Burke would replace Jeff with the status of Mark Jackson 
to be determined. Well, now it appears that Mark's status has been determined, and according to Andrew Marchand of the New York Post, he will be replaced by former Sixers coach Doc Rivers. So the new A-team for ESPN and ABC's NBA coverage will be Mike Breen, Doris Burke, and Doc Rivers. Doc actually did NBA analysis for ESPN and ABC back in 2004 with Al Michaels before returning to coach the Celtics where he won the championship in 2008. Doc will do a great job alongside Doris and Brini, and Brini is simply the best game caller in basketball. Doris is now a historical figure in broadcasting as the first woman to be the number one network hoop analyst for a major TV network. Her rise to the top is both well-deserved and inspiring. She's a longtime friend whose work ethic, preparation, and basketball IQ are all first rate. Now, prior to his ESPN gig, Jackson was a successful NBA coach in Golden State who helped develop Steph Curry and Klay Thompson before they started winning championships. Many feel he's been blackballed and will not be given another chance at coaching due to some allegations about his past behavior. Listen, nobody's perfect, and if you split the world into two teams, the good guys and the bad guys, Mark Jackson is unquestionably one of the good guys. Trust me, I know him. Okay? I'd love to see Mark get another shot at coaching, but his best chance of remaining a vital member of the uh, basketball family is probably calling games. Unfortunately, it won't be for ESPN. While I've been gone from ESPN for nearly six years, I'm still close to many of my former colleagues, including many I just spoke about. I'll always appreciate their work and root for their success, and that certainly includes Mark Jackson. Well said there, Bruce, and um, definitely going to be interested to see how Doc Rivers does in that role. Uh, obviously, trust your judgment there, and I'm glad Doris Burke got a chance, too. I think she's going to be exceptional on those big big game calls. And, of course, uh, with uh, Mike Breen, uh, nice job going out with a bang with oh. your opening, with your final <laughs> thought there. Didn't really replicate it well, but uh, you get my gist there. As for my final thought, uh, it's going to be out on the news out of Philly, as Nick Nurse stated that he plans on molding Paul Reed, a.k.a. B-Ball Paul, into a Pascal Siakam-type player. While I'd love to tell Coach Nurse to pump the brakes, I'd rather enjoy the entertainment piece, so I'll wish him good luck. My popcorn will be ready because I don't see any correlation between those two players, but... <laughs> If Coach Nurse is right here, Harden, Maxi, Tobias, Embiid, and Siakam 2.0, unstoppable. So we'll have to see what happens in Philly, but uh, not banking on Paul Reed becoming the next Pascal Siakam. But, you know, I'll give credit to Nurse for giving it his best shot. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.